What's up, Jay Brones? Live from Brooklyn, New York, and Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, this is the Torture Rack Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bass. My co-host is John F. Malta, and we are very happy to be here with you, our friends in wrestling. John, say something. Let the people know you're alive, pal. We watched a lot of wrestling this week, but I feel like it was a reasonable amount. Yeah, this was a good week. We saw quite a lot of shows. There was quite a lot of variance in the shows that we saw. A nice sampler plate, as you may have said. And yeah, this was manageable. It wasn't like the the New Japan Cup, the mired in, in wrestling in mid-July, where I was like, I don't know if I can do this, bro. And you're amidst a, a move, and we are at the dawn of the G1. So... Hopefully your move is smooth and you are ready to watch. Listen, I'm moving with hundreds of wrestling matches. I actually don't know how big the G1 is going to be this I'm year. I'm moving with two suitcases like... and a very precarious job situation, so I am <laughs> ready to watch wrestling. Everyone in Toronto, hit up Mark. Yeah, hit me up at Waste of Taste on Instagram. Slip into my deems. Tell me It'll about be... the local wrestling scenes. Yeah, true. Yeah, take the takeover happen there ever. Ah, uh, yes, it did. Cool. Yeah. Maybe yeah, maybe we'll hit up a takeover together in the future in like in the six year twenty thirty. <laughs> yeah. When COVID has finally gone away, yeah, in like a and, decade. And President Kanye opens up the borders. Exactly. Yes. Totally. Uh dude, quick shipping <laughs> quick quick <laughs> shipping update. Uh thanks to everyone that's ordered punk glasses, is still ordering magazines, t shirts. Punk glasses are almost sold out, so huge shout out to everyone. Glad that they're getting to everybody. I've been profusely packing them to make sure that uh, they don't break. It's kind of very actually did not think about how stressful it actually is to like sell a lot of a glass item and then ma- mail it. Like it's that does you know. sound stressful. Do you have the right fragile on all the packages? I do. I have sticker. I bought like glass stickers all over them. Glass uh, stickers. They're gonna break, John. <laughs> I make myself laugh, even if t- nobody else. And I'm just wondering if, uh, you know, Taz or Nick Gage or Stone Cold has uh, received their package yet. <laughs> I so confidently was like, cue me up for this Stone Cold impression. And I, Come on, bro. <laughs> I'm on pretty me. sure I'm terrible at it now. St- Steve, it's on its way to you in, as you would say, Los Angeles, California. Hey, man. <laughs> hey, this is Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> John, I'm so excited to get your baggage, buddy. <laughs> I'm here in Los Angeles, man. Steve. <laughs> Dude, it's actually really good. Oh, my God. It's good or not. <laughs> hey, man, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. John, I love your cup, man. I'm going to put some beer in it and pour it all over my face, man. Crack Steve, open two you... cans of Montelier for him <laughs> over my face. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Steve, what did you think of the fourth issue of Torture Rack? What? <laughs> I said, what did you think of the fourth issue of Torture what? Rack? What? <laughs> Steve, come on, tell me. What did you think of the fourth issue of Torture Rack? <laughs> fourth issue of Torture Rack, the best magazine I've ever read in my life. And that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. Oh, holy shit. So, everyone, your orders are on their way. Everyone that's ordered something has been... Uh, Very smooth transition re- back has into received that. A, uh, has received a tracking number. If you haven't, it'll be there tomorrow. Uh, 
And by the time you're listening to this, you'll have received it. Uh, and I and... just want to say, as the resident heel of the show, that I did finally, in Canada, receive my torture-racked box. And I have to say, you can keep that self-addressed stamped envelope, <laughs> John, because I'm going to keep it. I was so happy to see not just the magazine, but all those amazing prints that you've put together. Uh, Nick Gage, Cactus Jack, um, Effie. Also, I've ordered the flag and I'm waiting for that, but uh, it was so amazing to see it and to feel it and see the magazine. It is truly a work of art and I am humbled to be a part of it. Thanks, bro. Honestly, thought you were going to go lean in on the, on the uh, heel bit. It was an unexpected nice compliment. Just when you think I'm going to Ziggler, I Ziggler. So, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, please don't. I hope I don't have to watch the Dolph Ziggler match this week. Dude, thanks so much for saying that. I'm really happy that it's finally arrived to you. I, I sent it quite a while ago, but it's a big package and the USPS is in, in uh, you know, shambles at the moment. So yeah. And uh, whose thanks. fault is that, John? <laughs> your president fault? your president oh, well yeah no, no disagreement from me there uh but yeah dude uh thanks so much for contributing it's such it's this has been such a great project this is our 14th episode of this podcast so we've been doing this for almost close to now four months which is man i remember when it was just a glint in my eye that i was trying to uh convince me to do for like you. a year well in, yeah. in fairness i was trying to get you to do a youtube channel which is a much larger commitment and we have None of the equipment to do it with. Oh, yeah, I'm not sure why it took us so long to get to the point of why we why that was our like. I know oh. why. I know why because I always said, "Oh, if only we were in the same place, we could record a podcast." And then one day I heard a podcast that was obviously two people in separate places, and it didn't even sound great. It sounded fine, and I was like, "Oh, we could record something that sounds." Yeah, we don't need that. to be in the same place. And I think in my mind, I was imagining when you said YouTube channel, it's like, well, if I'm going to do a YouTube channel. I'm going to illustrate everything. Like, it's just a huge, would it be a huge undertaking for us to actually have. Oh, yeah, like, no. It, like, what I like was a saying what was. culture <laughs> wrestling, like, YouTube channel. Yeah. What I was saying was uh, unrealistic. Uh, we'd have to have But, a you know, it, we're doing slow. Exactly, yeah. We're doing some YouTube stuff now. But as but, soon as uh, we get our Manscaped uh, sponsorship, <laughs> I'm we can uh, start hiring a full-time video editor and uh, a full-time podcast host named Mark Exactly. Bass. Dude, that is a really funny, like... People, no one wants to hear ads on a podcast, really, and we don't have any sponsors <laughs> on this podcast right now. But just to start, like, to listen, to write down like a Manscaped ad and then do it, yeah, like Let's they're, start, but they're we'll, not. Yeah, to be yeah. clear, to one hundred percent clear, they're not sponsoring the show. We aren't. We're just going to do some pro bono here. ads. <laughs> We're going to do them on spec, and if you like them, you can sponsor us. <laughs> that, that's yeah. You'll do it as Stone Cold. Yeah, so my have, balls have never it. been smoother, brother. <laughs> <laughs> My rattlesnake is hairless. <laughs> this your stone cold is fucking hilarious, dude. Thank uh, you so much. You, I just I had it really built up in my head because you and you said you. Uh, the reason I, I keyed up Mark to do this is because we, we were watching GCW this weekend. He said that he, him and Thomas were sitting in the same room, and he you said that you know you. You busted out a Stone Cold impression that actually sounds really good, and it does. It cracked it's up Thomas, it cracked up me, but I had smoked a lot that evening, so I wasn't sure mm. if I was just full of my own, you know, if I was just high on my own supply or not, or if it was actually funny. Right, yeah, and, oh my god, yeah, it, re it reminds me of Gallo's impression of him, which <laughs> also is very good and <laughs> really I've funny. Never, which I've never heard, but I now it's, I want to. It's so good, Remember yeah. Remember when we were like, I don't know if we have the same sense of humor as Gallows and Anderson. I don't know, man. 
they're pretty fucking funny. Like every time they I see are, them, I don't know me, why I said that because I have thought they were funny. Like I think it's because they're maybe because I tied them up with with AJ who like is a flat earther and stuff. But yeah, like Republican dad, that aesthetic rubbed off on yes. Big LG and Carl Anderson. Yes, and they seem like kind of dumbos for like blaming Paul Heyman. Although recently someone had said it was Eric Rowan had said that because he got released right. And he said, yes. like, a week before he got released, he talked to Paul Hammond, and Paul Hammond was like, you are in, like, amazing standing with this company. That sucks that that happened to so many people. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. So, like, them saying that Paul Hammond is, like, full of shit, I don't have any reason to disbelieve that, because Paul Hammond is, like, notoriously, like, the, well, not notoriously, but he's, like, the guy who you get to spin a story. He should like work for a, a, a like a political campaign. He's so good. well, and there's a and just from watching pretty much everything that the WWE and ECW has released on the ending of ECW and was a podcast about it, reading about it, etc. It just seems like everything surrounding Heyman, you don't know the truth of any of it. No, and it, it's confu- It's confusing, and I mean, it's good from like a kayfabe perspective in terms of storylines and stuff. Not good for when it's like dealing yes. with wrestlers losing their jobs during a pandemic totally uh, having said that so. like one of the best on-air personalities ever yeah absolutely and pro- yeah. And definitely in like the top five bookers of all time as well probably for sure yeah and pro- very influential on me as a young wrestling fan just hearing him screaming ecw commercials is what made me seek out ecw as a kid and i think i, I might have mentioned this on like an earlier podcast but uh I, it's like I think maybe the one of the first things I can think of like see, the first content that I remember as a young kid being like what is that I need to find it rather than just being like this is on Nickelodeon I watched this or, this is <laughs> this is on MTV so I'm gonna watch it sure. it's like oh this is a random commercial that's happening during a thing I'm watching how do I find out find ECW and watch it totally and, and I did uh, speaking of ECW and maybe tangential ECW, we also watched a very cool documentary on YouTube that I highly recommend everyone listening go check out. Uh, it's called Villains in Wrestling, The Art of Making People Hate You, created by Super Eyepatch Wolf, youtube.com slash Super Eyepatch Wolf. And uh, <laughs> I can see your face, Mark. I didn't even, I didn't even plan for that. I'm gonna like assign you like uh, the next match is gonna be like Wolfman Jack versus <laughs> Cactus Jack or something. Like that. Wolfman is in the corner. He's on the top rope. Wolf goes for an elbow. Wolf goes a strike. <laughs> like, Who are you, Roman Reigns? There, big dog. Calm down. <laughs> but anyways, this this documentary surveys. The idea of heels in wrestling, pretty much from the incarnation of the idea of heels back uh, starting with the, like the 1950s with Gorgeous George and going all the way up through present day people like MJF, LIJ, Evil Naito, and really does a great job of explaining like exactly why a heel works within wrestling and what makes a good heel. Uh, what did you think of it, Mark? Yeah, I thought it was an awesome documentary. I like that it sort of jumped back and forth through time. Like it wasn't just like, linear yeah yeah the earliest heel to the to the latest heel um okay so the part that maybe is going to be divisive between you uh between us excuse me is when he talked about evil and evil being beating okada because i think he very like um carefully doesn't really talk about how evil's victory over like okada and naito were like interferences and really paints a picture of that naito betrayal as like 
a candidate for like one of the best new japan stories like when he when he lays it out from like beginning to end about like them starting like naito being kind of like rejected by the fans going on excursion coming back still being sort of an outsider um but you know being kind of brothers with evil yeah just them just being very inextricably linked for such a long time and then him turning and just like turning his back on like hiromu refusing to give hiromu an answer when he asked why he did it and stuff like just i don't know just paint it like painted that story if you hadn't seen those matches you'd be like wow evil is like one of the most dominant heels around right now so i guess sort of you i and you know just we didn't really talk too much about this but you do know that i particularly kind of maybe didn't necessarily disagree with what he was saying but and now hearing you talk about that and articulate it what he did for evil and naito's story is what wwe does for all of their storylines <laughs> like not and not not necessarily that it's a bad thing you're right uh, just just that like wwe produces their content in a way that they can cherry pick the best moments into really awesome packages into for pro- pay-per-views. Yes, d- despite the fact that like Roman saying something in the crowd is like, this is fucking shit. They just like, right. And they'll just cut out that one sentence yes. and layer in some cheering. Ron and it's like, Smackdown oh, are just, are just fodder for the video packages. They're like, yeah, pa- like to pastiche together, really great video packages. Not, yeah. not a slam on WWE. Like, it's just how they produce their shows. Yeah. It, it almost seems uh, like they write. If, 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 if we thought they like actually had this much foresight, it would seem like they write the promo packages first and then are like, okay, how do we make, they might episodes? do. Yeah. I mean, I know they don't do that, but it seems like that that's like, uh, I guess that probably it's more so like, well, all these things changed at the last minute because of this one person. So I guess what we have to do is just plan for making great video packages and not necessarily great content weekly. That being said, the evil Naito thing in this documentary, I, while I was watching it, I didn't like that he did that. But I do think it does show the broad strokes of what we'll remember from that storyline. That's it. All the hardcore New Japan fans are going to remember, yeah, that, those matches sucked. The Dick Togo integration, awful. And overall, like, I don't know. It's like, yeah, the, 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 it, it is like what WWE does. And even to the point that it's like, well, the storyline and the thing that happened that we're going to remember is the thing that matters. Who gives a fuck about the match quality? And that to me is like anti New Japan. But that's what's happening right now. I, I, I agree. And I wonder if we're just maybe we're just being a little bit like quick on this. Like maybe we should just like wait a little bit longer and not just go, oh, my God, like evil's first defense was shit. Like his reign is shit. Like because we don't know how long it's going to be. And he might. Yeah, he might lose it to Naito this month. And actually, I was going to say that this uh, documentary kind of made me feel like, oh, maybe Naito is going to win this. Based it off seemed of like thing that's being said yeah. in that documentary. They did, uh, but and, and and I mean, I think on an earlier episode, you made a great point. I was like, "What's the whole? What what was the purpose of all this?" And you were like, "Well, to like turn evil into a monster heel, give him a huge betrayal, give Bullet Club a new like dominant leader, give Bullet Clubs the belt." And I was like, "Oh yeah, that actually to let makes that sense. happen." Yeah, and th- that's sort of what I was saying when we talked about the match Hiromu versus Naito, or sorry, Hiromu versus Evil with Dick Togo ringside. When we, you and I discussed that match, I mentioned that I didn't really know how to articulate it, but it felt like a match that would be a New Japan on a New Japan Classics, like how we now see like, uh, you know, different classic matches posted to the uh, New Japan World, like sure. Muda versus Hogan. I feel like we might see that, and that to me, because of the story aspects of those different matches, is why uh, 
I think that that would be included. And yeah, just overall, I, I liked that they covered New Jack, that the documentary that we watched covered New Jack and kind of positioned New Jack and Suzuki uh yeah together. that was cool uh, i think a little bit unfair to suzuki <laughs> well but i was gonna say the thing that i i don't think so but just because they don't necessarily expressly say this in the documentary but i feel like in the documentary suzuki is positioned as the greatest heel wrestler ever because uh they there, there was a quote within there at some point i don't know if it was specifically about suzuki it was about suzuki that he said uh, no matter how villainous they are, there's still something human to grasp onto. And I thought that that was like a really great thing that that uh, a, a great point being made of why Suzuki is great. Whereas like I personally am a huge fan of New Jack, but also I think the thing that sort of like points to like why some people don't like New Jack or why, uh, you know, maybe Suzuki in the sort of canon of wrestling is hitting on something that a lot of other heels are not doing, like how he bowed to Jushin Liger. He was clearly like crying in that clip. I got teary eyed while watching that clip again. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, New Jack just seems like a violent person. Like they said, v- masquerading as a wrestler. Exactly. Which makes and, him arguably the scariest heel of all time because he is actually going to hurt people and seeing again, seeing all those clips like back to back of like him, like every time I watch <laughs> him throwing the dude, Oh my god! No, not yeah. even onto uh-huh. the tables, and seeing the dude bounce when he hits the and like he's so insane. His leg hits. He, he must have broken his leg, right? Like, yeah, he got fucked up. It's it's hard to watch and watching him. Oh my god! That one clip, like we we all remember him slicing open Mass Transit and Mass Transit bleeding, but he goes off the top ropes with the chair, like doing an elbow drop on the chair. But rather than just kind of having the chair. And just like kind of nestling it onto him. It's like he brings the chair up and then slams him as if he's like, you know, full force hitting him with all the impact of. It was Did that just... happen after he blades him? Yes. It's like I know, right see, at the end that's... of the match. We don't need to get too in the weeds on New Jack. But I know that there are parts of the last half of the match that actually seem like he's trying to like make the match continue and also not hurt him. But I, I don't know. I'd have to rewatch it. I it's discussed like ad nauseum online. So, you know, go read a thread. We don't need to rehash all of it. Lastly, the thing that I love that they said about evil to sort of wrap this up is that evil is a, he, the quote is a person betrays everything they know in order to not be forgotten. That was amazing. Yes. What an incredible, like impeccably written. That's the encapsulation of what evil has done at this moment in time. Yes, and the way that they told that story, like, you had made it so compelling, like, Sonata was the only one who didn't have a belt and he was unsuccessful. But really, he was successful as, like, a tag team wrestler and as a singles wrestler and even challenged Okada for the belt and stuff. And it was right. actually well, and I evil thought he... who had been, like, overshadowed the most. And I thought, the reason I thought was kind of all in on Sonata at the start of this podcast was because he did have so many... I remember saying, even when Evil turned, that, like... Sonata has had a bunch of signature singles matches, including one of my matches of the year against Okada at the New Japan Cup 2019, whereas Evil has had no memorable matches really against anybody still. It's weird. But we'll yeah, see. It's yeah, it's like more uh, of a story than it is a work rate classic. Exactly. Yes. It's a story cannot, the, the importance of the story cannot be denied. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, the other thing. Uh, that I love that's been happening is that New Japan has been having 
a weekly show every Friday. There's another one this week. And we watched Kenta versus David Finley. I watched uh, the whole New Japan Strong event. And there's only three matches. Sick opener with Rocky Romero. Great to see Rocky back. N- nothing like extremely notable happened in that. Cl- sort of classic New Japan opener. Uh, Rocky throws down. But very notable thing happened in the second match. We get the return of Switchblade Jay White teaming with Chase Owens. Right. And Chase Owens looks really cool. He's got like a new get, get new gear. It's like all red. Uh, him and Switchblade looked really sick together. And they faced off against Brody King and Flip Gordon. And I think we might see Brody King in the G1. Oh, I hope so. If he can get to Japan. I don't know how. I don't know. I guess he's in America, Why do you say that? Though. Yeah. Well, he beat Jay White. Really? They won. Brody King and Flip Gordon won the match. But did he pin he Chase Owens? O- he pinned Chase Owens, but they still won a match against... Uh, I mean, pinning Chase Owens is not like a big feat, but pinning Jay White would have been, and Brody King just destroys both of them. Like, well, I was so surprised he was eliminated first round because he just seems like he just has the look. Right. Yeah, and it seems like... He I don't makes know, the I, butcher look like not intimidating. No way. Butcher looks intimidating, but how dare you diss my boy? Uh, I, I was trying to use a, a touch of hyperbole hyperbole, in order to make a <laughs> demonstration on how fucking hard, like, honestly, Butcher looks like he's dressing up and playing and he's in a punk band. And uh, the guy whose name I just forgot looks like a Brody King. Brody King looks like he just like escaped from Russian jail. Well, Butcher is actually in a punk band, and Brody King is in like a black metal, like maybe not black metal, but metal band. Uh, so don't let your facts get in the way of my interesting analysis. I'm today. I'm saying that my facts <laughs> kind of kind of uh, add credence to your comparison. Thank since you so the, much. His his band is a bit harder than uh, Butcher's band. Okay, but whose band is harder? <laughs> so Brody King wins, and it seems like they're going to. Um, they're going to continue with New Japan USA booking. I Yeah, do you think... So Kenta won, won his match against Finley. The match, Kenta had some really cool spots. I don't think it was like an, an outstanding match. We haven't really discussed it too much. I thought it was boring. Yeah, it w- there were moments that Kenta was Kenta that I thought were really sick. Like doing like big... He did like a big corner leg drop that's like uh, reminiscent of Shibata, the the double knee to the corner, the double foot stomp to the corner, and a couple other like sick moves. I felt like Kenta was snappier and quicker than he normally is in his matches. Uh, but yeah, overall, like kind of just an average match. Nothing to like seek out and watch if you haven't seen it. No, it was, but it, it was it, a it disappointing did... final for me to be to be quite honest. And Kenta wins, but Jeff Cobb comes out and challenges him. It seems to me like they're building up like a New Japan USA roster, like by having Brody King and Flip Gordon there. Makes uh, sense. Possibly then Moxie will be a Moxie. Moxley will be able to uh, defend and not have to go to Japan. Well, that's what I was thinking because no one can. We none of. I don't even know if you can go to Japan with a visa right now or not. I don't know if they have like a would have a wrestler would have like a work visa. Uh, I'm very in interested in how these like New Japan shows actually work because it just seems like they can just kind of do whatever they want they're like all right this show's gonna be an hour this next show's gonna be five hours this one's gonna be three hours it's cool how they can just kind of offer content yeah i hope that we i mean we're supposed to have there's another new japan strong this friday so uh i hope that the show continues i I love that it's a really short digestible new japan show if we were Uh, just watching new japan we would have more than enough wrestling to watch like pretty much all the time yeah absolutely 
yeah, but it, I I would say that's true, especially for this week, since there's like almost five, I think five, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, five shows, four shows. Uh, but yeah, um, kind of not the most exciting ending for the New Japan Cup USA tournament, but a welcome return for New Japan in the States. And I'm looking forward to Kenta Moxley big time. I think um, Moxley's just the kind of person that Kenta needs to fight right now. Yeah, he seems to work better with like kind of brawlers and people who big dudes like Ishii. Yeah. Uh rather than kind of like I don't know, sort of just like an average yes. wrestler. It's fun to watch I don't know really Kenta, how to describe David Finley. For me it's like it's it's fun to watch Kenta like chop down someone bigger. Yes. Like to me Kenta's always the underdog, even though he's like on the Mount Rushmore according to like Rocky Romero. That hyperbole wasn't really brought strung through this match no, as much though. That was weird. But yeah, they were overselling Kenta, I thought, a little bit. But um, yeah, to me, it's fun when Kenta's the underdog and he fights someone like Ishii or something like that, like a more of a Haas wrestler, and then just cuts them down to size with like snap kicks. Yes. Because yeah, yeah to me, he is an underdog and, and watching him methodically break someone down, you're like, oh, okay, this is why he's so good. Because you don't get it at first. You're like, all right, he's got a mushroom cup. That's interesting. Um, but his his kicks and his his strength are to be reckoned with for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny. Um, we're kind of like wrapping up talking about New Japan, but one one thing that distracted me throughout the entire thing, almost to the point that I just turned down the commentary, is their like color commentator. Uh, the dude accompanying Kevin Kelly right now, Alex Cosgrove, I think, or Kozlov. The one who fine. was in Talking Shop of Mania and then his bearded mother came out? Oh, really? I didn't realize that. Alex yeah, Kozlov, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just very like too like deadpan like it just doesn't seem like like why not just have rocky on commentary like they normally do because rocky fought and sometimes new, J- new japan makes some strange choices with their color commentary uh but yeah overall great event i was gonna i was gonna let you jump into wwe if you wanted to just when i think i'm out they pull me back in just when you're ready to write off wwe as like why do we watch this Every pay-per-view starts out good, ends on a damp squib. What's the point? They put on, in my humble estimation, probably their best front-to-back pay-per-view in two years. Yeah, and to to your opening point, that's where I was before we started watching. To the point that you started making fun of me for being too negative. Uh, that I was like, why am I? Why are we watching this? I just I think don't... it's funny because we we get hyped about it in our convos, and then Thomas comes in with his chaotic neutral energy and is just like, "Why it, not?" It was, watch, but it had nothing to do. Why I, not watch anything o- but this? <laughs> you're overestimating Thomas's influence. It was just the whole I'm, day. I was I'm like, just telling you how I feel, bro. I the whole day I was thinking like I that I would kind of almost rather watch anything but WWE that night, like. Not even rest, just watching. I was floating or, down the mirror machine you know, ever, just hit up the f- really excited for the biggest party of the summer, spending it with my great friend John. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I could, I actually, I, I think it was because, like, we were talking d- during, um, while we were watching GCW and Dynamite on Saturday about how, like, little interest we had in TakeOver, and th- that that was the first yes. TakeOver we hadn't watched live. Also, the first takeover I think I'm not going to watch. Like, I'm not interested in seeing it. Yeah. And honestly, totally. So, uh, and usually that's like what gets me amped up to watch a main brand pay per view. Like, it's like, oh, that was sick. That's awesome. That's like peak 
content that WWE is producing. Now let's see some of our old favorites from New Japan. Hopefully they get a chance to tear it up. Some of our old favorites from the Indies. Maybe we'll see some good stuff within this over pay-per-view that's probably not necessarily going to be that great is usually the feeling I have. But this time around, I was like, well, I didn't care enough to watch TakeOver. And we watched Dynamite and GCW both were incredible. Uh, so going into the Sunday night, Normally in the past, that would be like the only pay-per-view or thing we had to watch, but there's just so much to watch now that it almost feels I like know. what's the point. All that's to say, this was a great pay-per-view. Yeah, and I just want to say I watched uh, just the Karrion Cross keith Lee match because I was curious to see how it would be. Uh, I thought it was very, like, plodding. Like, certainly they mm-hmm. gave it their all, but I, uh, I didn't feel like they had much chemistry whatsoever in the ring. I would not watch that. I heard from all accounts that Pat McAfee versus Adam Cole hugely over delivered. I actually like Pat McAfee on the pre-shows. Like I think he, like he's one of the more tolerable pre-show WWE personalities, uh, especially when he's on there with like JBL, but and Booker yeah, T. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I think he actually brings, he feels like the reason I like him on the pre-shows is because he feels like a genuine human that's having his own thoughts and speaking them and not just kind of like a blank, like shill for the WWE. Sure. Uh, but Speaking yeah, I don't know. It's just like not a match that excited me or that I was interested in. And there's just too much wrestling to watch to the point that like, I was like, I'm not going to watch that. And maybe I'll watch Black Label Pro instead. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the pre-show, though, there was a very sick uh, Apollo Crews. Versus Man, MVP Apollo Crews rules. Yeah, that was a really good match. And like, I don't know. Yeah, MVP is like not someone that I know much about and I wasn't that excited to see him wrestle, but he was really, that was a really good match. It's cool. They stuck he was around. really good. He like, can really still go. I, 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 yeah. I'm the exact same way. He was exactly in that time when I didn't watch wrestling. I've seen like none of his matches at all. Although he, I heard he was good. Uh, but yeah, that was a really fun match. Uh, makes me sad that it was on the pre-show because how are we ever going to build up these new stars? If we don't let them defend their, their main roster belts on the on the pay-per-views i actually don't even remember what the belt that was being defended was what was u.s title was it ah okay yeah i thought that that was oh right hardy and aj was for the intercontinental title exactly correct having said that every single match on this show with maybe um with exception to the to the main event was really really good there was not a stinker yeah totally um started out with their women's division continues to absolutely just destroy like all all three of the women's matches bailey versus oscar uh sonya deville versus mandy rose and oscar versus sasha all of them were good really good yes high quality yes sick ring work sick stories incorporated into all of them too i I love the double sort of match that happened with oscar and bailey and oscar and sasha and i love that there was like some tomfoolery there but it didn't sour the match quality like both of those matches were were really good uh i would say especially asuka versus bailey the opener like ripped it up seeing those two together oh my god like two of the best wrestlers in the world like i think that was my match of the night for sure yeah um, bailey versus asuka yeah and actually it was my match. match of the night as well i agree with that um street profits versus andrade and angel garza something that seemed to me kind of thrown together didn't have a lot of investment again like really excellent like Andrade and Angel Garza 
it's been really amazing to see they've been pushing Andrade. Like for all that we say that they don't push people, they have been pushing Andrade as a great heel. They've given him a great mouthpiece in Selena Vega. They've teamed teamed him up with Angel Garza, and I can't remember who the, their third is that they sometimes have on their group. I don't remember. Yeah, uh, I don't know. We call them uh, Selena Vega's sexy boys, but. <laughs> Yeah. Did we call them that? Not, uh, not we. Sorry. Like, we in the know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they've been... Like, Andrade's had several, like, really solid uh, mid-card title runs. Um, and just always looks strong. And he came into this match, like, absolutely intense. Him and Montez Ford, like, that could be a singles match for the ages. Totally. That could be a universal title match, for sure. No like, doubt. That would be insane. And... Would love to see it. I also, secondarily, yeah, would love to see... I've been, like, waiting for them to unleash Andrade and Zelina Vega together onto the roster. And they're slowly kind of doing that. But, like, I know I've said to you in past chats, like, how great would it be for Zelina Vega to start ripping apart Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman and build a feud for the Universal title between Brock and Andrade, where she's, like, making fun of Brock for being, like, kind of, you know, a hillbilly who lives in the woods... I feel like there's a lot of good like content there. And Brock always combine. has the best matches with smaller, scrappier wrestlers, Finn Balor, Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, like especially smaller, scrappy like scrappier wrestlers, but that have like power to their movesets. But power and mat like, and mat skills. Like AJ AJ and Bryan for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, Montez Ford is someone I'm not that familiar with, but loved his performance. Loved his like almost ultimate warrior like intensity that he brings dude, to the match. Dude, Montez Ford is like so good stratospheric yeah. like i i hope the street profits like continue their reign and are, are just awesome because montez ford is one of the best best talents they have i think um yeah, absolutely here's yeah. a match that the story was good but i wasn't necessarily looking forward to it in ring mandy rose versus sonya deville i have to say with all these mandy rose and otis storyline and mandy rose just kind of being a prop to otis like the big the, you know the goofy well yeah. just a lot of these uh things revolving around these big men who are in love with this these tiny like women like uh Braun and alexa bliss and otis and uh mandy rose i don't know i thought they kind of did mandy rose dirty a little bit and didn't realize how fucking good she is she was my like surprise of the night she was like my my surprise mvp of this event. Well, like, we were talking about their promo packages being good. And the promo package for this really sold that feud. Like the totally. two Sonya Deville's intensity, like screaming at Mandy Rose, like fucking her up backstage. Yeah. And then it felt like watching two stars, like from like the attitude era or something like, yeah. And Mandy Rose's, I don't know how new her look is with like the slick back cut shorter hair. It's but, like, like her that soccer look... mom. Apparently is what they're calling it. Oh, it, uh, it works. To me, it looks like cool. Like, she almost looks like uh, like a sci-fi, a character from like a sci-fi film with that hair. Nice, yeah, uh, yeah, like just kind of like cool, like tough, like space adventurer. Absolutely, but yeah. That 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 match. Um, well, a lot of these great. like no DQ matches or whatever, or loser leaves WWE. They have a great build up and feud or whatever, but in ring, it's not like as physical and not like as intense as it should be. But this totally was. It yeah. was it was excellent. Like it was a really really good match, and it was emotional genuinely when like Sonya lost, like even totally. though she's a terrible heel and stuff. And I don't know this one. It, it worked like gangbusters, like three excellent matches in a row, and then boom, Seth Rollins versus Dominic, which I yeah um 
I liked. I thought the match was fine. Uh, it was good. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm, yeah, it was okay. Wow. Okay. I I loved it from like a story perspective. Like I, I think it's very hard to get um, to involve the a whole family in the way that they did with Ray. I thought and... it was just overbooked enough. Yeah, I do. I agree with that. I just I I have my fandom of Seth Rollins over the years has definitely fallen to the wayside and it has nothing to do with thomas i just over the years his like twitter presence Dude, i i understand it doesn't definitely have, i understand it doesn't have to do with thomas i understand but i feel we are being short-sighted in like how much we enjoy his like when it, when he is booked in a good match with a good story with a good wrestler he could can be he can deliver fantastic matches i think that is being under oh i yeah i mean and i i i agree with that because if you go back, I mean, I'm on the record in the as in the Torture Act issue one. One of my matches of the year was his gauntlet match from Raw, where he the first hour of Raw was just wrestling, where he wrestled. People. Oh my god, yeah, that's when we were like, put the belt on Seth. He also had a great, great match with uh, AJ Styles a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I can't remember what pay per view it was. I want to say Money in the Bank or something like that. Um, I loved his match with uh, The Miz and Finn Balor. At WrestleMania 34, as you know, that's like one of my favorite modern matches. Um, I would like to see more of his like Tyler Black stuff. And yeah, well, that, can that at that point? Yeah, like well, he's like the Night King against Miz and Finn. I really was a big fan of him still then, but yeah, I don't know. Just like, even his long plotting whole... match with Triple H was really good. Oh yeah, totally. Well, but just the the whole new, the presentation of him now and just. His real life person definitely detract a lot from me, and I do. I do. I don't think that we when we were watching this last night. One of the things that came up was I brought up the point that I don't feel like he is on the level of someone like Kenny Omega or Ibushi or Okada, and not I just want to point out that wrestle I, those three people. Oh, I really do want to point out that at no point ever in that conversation, and you will not hear me say this: that have I said that Seth Rollins is like one of the best in the world? Never said that. I think he's. But that is how it felt like. That's what it felt like you were arguing. No, I, I just, I, I don't know why. I would never say he was one of the best in the world, but I will passionately fight against you saying that he's decent. Like, I think decent is like, does him really dirty. I think in, in terms of like, if we were to give wrestlers like in our, in our terms, if Kenny Omega is like an A plus and like Okada is an A plus, um, I don't know who's an A, maybe like Will Ospreay, Zack Sabre Jr. I would say Ospreay is up A+. plus. Yeah, probably. Yeah, maybe maybe Zack Sabre Jr. an A. That's a good, he's a good A. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A minus, maybe like Ishii, perhaps. Yep. Um, he maybe is an A also. He may, yeah, he's probably an A. A slash A plus. But yeah. But so I would say Seth Rollins is like a B plus. A very solid B plus. Uh, but if he was booked better and had great competitors like if they were actually using the people on that roster and it was like seth rollins versus alistair black seth rollins versus andrade seth rollins versus you know what i mean like not just like baron corbin and like Dolph ziggler and stuff i think he his work rate would be probably brought up to like an a minus that's all i'm saying and i and to be decent is like a c plus and i just or like a b minus and i'm just like i don't think that's fair i would not say he's a c plus yeah. Anyway, we can agree on. We that. are definitely, <laughs> we are definitely just like fighting over inches. 
at this point, which makes no sense. Exactly. I feel like we're kind of in agreement. Uh, That's why I said Thomas was chaotic neutral because he just came in and started some shit, (laughs) even though we were in agreement. Um, But anyway, I think that this match is, you know, you gave it a B plus. I give it a B plus a minus. I think it's a little bit better than fine. I think it was an excellent match. I think Dominic Dominic showed that he can go. His frog splash was out of this world. His six one nine was crisp. His, his just his. He didn't look outclassed wrestling Seth Rollins. It didn't look like Seth Rollins wrestling someone who was completely out of his level. Obviously, Seth Rollins is is you know has more experience and is a better wrestler. But he was a convincing yeah, enough no, presence I that. that I was like, this kid's gonna have a, a long career, like for sure. Overall, the match left me wondering. When Rey Mysterio is inducted to the WWE Hall of Fame, you think he goes in with one eye or two? <laughs> I think by that point, he's got three cyborg eyes that Seth Rollins can't <laughs> can't poke out. He's got like two here and then yeah. one on the back of his mask. <laughs> and his gimmick is... He so you know that they have to keep running with this right now because it's in part of the Dominic storyline, but like... It's hilarious just seeing him with we one We all eye. know he didn't lose his eye. Yeah, like just let it just let's forget it and let him have two eyes again. I, Set it I and feel forget like, it. Hey, we we yeah, we, totally. we can't complain about long term booking and then tell him tell him to start abandoning their storylines, <laughs> even if they are shitty. It's um, true. <coughs> yeah, Drew McIntyre versus Randall Keith Orton. Um, another match with Randy that starts out, and I I, I talked about this in my article. But that starts out boring and plotting with a lot of headlocks and builds into an excellent match by the end. Um, I call it the Randy Orton special. He doesn't always do it, but he's yeah. very good at it. No. Um, I don't know. I feared that he was going to win this match. Yes. And I'm very happy to see Drew. Drew, there. I love that they're running with Drew and that Drew is like their dominant champion through COVID. Yes. Like, I actually often forget that Braun Strowman is even the Universal Champion. One, because I don't like Braun. Two, I don't know who cares about that storyline, story almost to the point that I don't even feel like talking too much about the main event, but I uh, don't want to jump ahead too too fast. This match was great, and it's cool. Like I love when I, I love when Randy Orton gets invested in a match, and you could tell he really wanted to make that a good match without advertising that it was the greatest match ever, and it was a really excellent title match. I think he is settling into a nice role of like a... Because I was pissed off that he was in the title role. I was like, he was in the title picture 15 years ago. Like, who else could you say that about? And then I was like, oh, well, late period Shawn Michaels, you could say that about. However, yeah. obviously, Shawn Mi- I think Shawn Michaels is altogether a better wrestler. But I think I, Randy Orton is settling into a nice late stage Triple H role. Where yeah, he totally, has, I can see that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've undervalued Randy for sure. I think because he's overbooked a little bit. Like... You know, I didn't. I wasn't a fan when he won the Royal Rumble a couple years ago, but I do understand that that was because Brock Lesnar absolutely destroyed his forehead with an elbow. Um, so I actually I don't blame him for that. I agree. Yeah, totally. I, I for me, Randy Orton has been someone. I've never been a super fan of him. No, but I do enjoy when his matches, like when he goes and his matches are good, they're great. He's a he's a great heel. Like he's detestable, and he can fucking go. Like. That's that's why we don't like Baron Corbin, because he is not detestable. He's just, like, really annoying, and then he can sort of go. Randy Orton is, like, 
a fucking dick and just always is working. <laughs> like he's always working. Like, I, you know, he, he makes fun of NXT, but he's trying to set up a match between either like, that's him what and I was going to say. And like, him and can, like Champa. You can really position him in a way that you can't many others in WWE where he can't, he has this great history within the company with people like flair and triple H and being a part of evolution he can be this kind of dick who's not wanting to like in kayfabe not wanting to wrestle these like jabroni indie wrestlers who don't have the sort of pedigree that he does in wrestling and then you get these great that's already a great feud you it's you're in you're gonna watch it you could do that with seth rollins as tyler black you could do that with kevin steen you could do that with sammy like there's so many feuds that randy could be positioned in that way with do Alistair, Andre Dada, like yeah, yeah. It's, what what you know. separates someone like Randy from someone like Seth Rollins right now is that Randy truly just does not give a fuck about what people think about him. Like he just does not. He's a troll. Well, on that's Twitter. the other thing that feeds into his character. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, just, you're saying like he's making fun of NXT as a way to set up a match, but then at the same time is making fun of it because that is part of what he probably actually thinks. Hundred percent. But he's not trying to be like. Like, I guess from our outside looking in perspective, it's partly real, partly kayfabe. Yeah. And he's just kind of like, you know, and I'm sure those wrestlers still respect him. So they're just kind of pissed off at him. And if he saw them, he'd be like, yeah, let's do a match. I don't know. Like. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a sec, a, an accepted thing that they're working together for that reason. Cause it is a good story. Yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm a little bit turning around on, on Randy Orton, like right now like he annoyed me like being in the title picture and taking it from bray wyatt just when they were finally starting to pull the trigger on bray wyatt and stuff but in this role um as someone who is defeated by drew mcintyre pretty great was that did he take that title off him in that match where there was like bugs on the mat was that when that happened yes or no so basically aj was champ for a while and it was awesome and then right before elimination chamber at the Royal Rumble, they had Cena take the belt off of AJ, and then they went to the Elimination Chamber, and then Bray took it off of right. Cena. Right, I remember, I watched, then, went back and watched that. Yeah, yeah, and then Bray dropped it to Randy, so they just, like, hot-shotted the belt four times, when they just could have, like, I don't know, kept it on fucking AJ Styles, maybe? Or, yeah. you know, let Bray have it for a while? I don't know, just crazy ideas. But, um... But yeah, cool, cool that Drew won. I really did, I... I wasn't sure who was going over in that match, but happy to see that Drew is just going to remain champ. Maybe we'll get a cool feud with Keith Lee co- incoming to Raw tonight. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's over with, with Orton. Oh, you think it continues? Well, he, like, Orton looked like he was about to win, and then Drew, like, what was it? Like, it was like a bridge pin, right? Mm-hmm. That's not like a... That was like with the, when Orange pinned Jericho. It's like he pinned him, but he... He didn't definitively, like, defeat him in right. the ring. It was like, which I actually really enjoyed. It was like, because it's more fun when it looks like he could lose. You know, it's, that's why we don't like it when Dolph Ziggler fights Drew for the title. Because we're like, we are all in agreement that there's no way that Dolph Ziggler is going to win. But, like, Randy right. Orton very convincingly could. And then also just be like, yeah, I'm a legend killer. I was a legend killer back then. And even now that I'm an old legend, I'm still killing your new legends. That's how much of a legend killer I am. So that could have been a good story, but um, I don't know. I would watch another one, honestly. Like they're they're yeah. I'm actually, you know, it's funny. It's the first time ever. Like I started out 
before this pay-per-view with probably the lowest opinion I've ever had of WWE. But now I'm, you mentioned before we started recording that you were going to watch Payback and I am excited to watch Payback next week. Uh, well, we can, you know, and then lastly, before we move on, yeah. Asuka is now champ, which is, it's cool that she won the second match. Yes. Uh, against Sasha. I, I really like. that. I was hoping that Sasha would that get way. to keep it for a little bit longer because she hasn't had as long of a title reign as Bailey has. Bailey's had the longest SmackDown title reign. Right. But at the same time, it was so, like, I, I can't argue with the book. And it's, it's Asuka winning it. Yeah, that that was one thing that I wanted that. to to bring up within the women's division and every women's match that happened on uh, SummerSlam. How rarely does it happen in WWE that you get two performers in a match for a title where you're okay with the outcome of whoever wins? Absolutely. Like, I can't think of another time that that's happened. And I mentioned that AEW has done a great job of doing that uh, throughout the, a lot of their title matches where it's like, well, I'm watching this and I have my favorite who I want to win. But if the other person wins, I can see the justified reason why they're winning. I'm just so Similarly happy. Similarly with Asuka, Bailey, Asuka, Sasha. Totally. I'm so happy that they figured out what to do with Asuka. Like when she came and they like, yeah, you know, had Charlotte beat her and take the undefeated streak off of her. It just kind of like, I don't know. I felt like it put her in one rank below all of the kind of legend established female wrestlers in WWE. So like Charlotte Flair, Bailey, Sasha Banks. Yeah, I agree. Becky yep. Lynch. I felt like uh, Asuka was a, like one rung below all of them. And recently, once they figured out how to capitalize her, not as a heel because she's so much fun to watch but as just like a kooky kind of scary and she looks cool she yeah. looks awesome she still does the green mist like she's maybe my favorite wrestler yeah. right now i that's cool fucking love asuka like every time she's on screen i just have a big smile on my face she just she's she's pure joy to me yeah their women's division best absolutely killer best yeah best in the western best. world for sure for um sure. Just very quickly, Braun Strowman versus Bray Wyatt. You didn't really like it. I thought it was fine. It kind of reminded me of like maybe a not great match in the Attitude Era between someone like the Big Show and uh, the Undertaker. Braun Strowman being that's the a, Big Show. Yeah, that's Bray a great comparison. I just feel like with how I guess it's like to WWE's credit, they built a card that had such high quality that by the end of this and by the end of sort of the weekend of watching lots of wrestling. I was just waiting for that to be over because I didn't care. I kind of, I, I am not a fan of Braun Strowman. Previously was, but I don't know, just kind of similarly real life persona plus just like weak in-ring abilities. Not not the biggest fan. And I They certainly I the theme, missed the opportunity. The to, window. To, to make to, him like stone cold, basically. Like, yes, like you absolutely. said when he was flipping over the ambulance and he was just like, I'm a fucking monster. He wasn't like throwing Alexa Bliss around or anything like that. He was just like... He was scary. He was yeah, a scary was... man. I think that that brief moment where Braun, uh, Brock, Roman, and Samoa Joe were these like four like titans of rest. It's like it's like Greek gods doing battle. Yeah, like and and, yeah, and it's Roman, like you're, they're like I, like I forgot how important Roman is to to this these matches because we have seen a couple just big guys fighting like um. Braun and Bray, and you need someone who's a little bit more explosive, but who's also totally convincing as like big enough to spear like Braun Strowman and like Samoa Joe and and Brock Lesnar, you know. And Roman is that he's that perfect mix of like he's he's fast, but he's also like he's convincing against any of those guys. 
Yeah, agreed. And that that actually was the one part of the match that I I mean, I liked the aftermath of Roman returning. Like, I think it's great that he's returned. And, you know, I, I, I didn't mind that being the end. Uh, Some people are saying that he came back heel. But I'm like, did he? Isn't like the fiend a bad he guy? He seemed. Yeah, I guess he seemed like angry. I, but I don't think that that I don't really equate that as he like a heel, though. Like, it just seems like ready to raise hell. Right. Yes. Like, I think that like. They need to figure out what to do with Roman, which is, like, make him a little bit more like how he is as a real person, who is apparently, like, a really cool dude. Like beloved. Who wouldn't yeah, say suffering yeah. succotash. Um, and, is, and is truly a locker room leader. I think I think maybe it's that, like, that arrogance that he has to play that's maybe not his wheelhouse. He should maybe just be more of, like, a, I'm here to, like, fuck shit up. Well, yeah, if he keeps presenting himself like he did last night, I don't see how anyone could be mad at that. Like, he just looked, like, ready to throw down and ready to have some sick matches. You think uh, they're going to... No, it's too... I was going to say you think they're going to build it for WrestleMania 37, but that's way too far away to start talking about. Uh, it's too far away to start talking about. Yeah, at this point, what, it was what, the fantasy what? book that far. But I could see... It would be cool to see Bray versus Roman out at WrestleMania Man. Like, to get that. Yeah, Because that's what they wanted to do originally. But I right. really hope the main event of Payback is Roman versus Braun versus Bray. Because I think that Roman could be just the injection. They need to, like, turn those, like, those slow moments. Suddenly, Roman is running down and, like, Superman punching one of them. You know what I mean? And just injects those, that football quickness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I would be up for watching that. I would not be up for watching Braun and Bray. I don't think I would watch it if that was the main event next week. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I would not I, care. I've been trying to like find who are the analogs to some of these wrestlers in the Attitude Era just for fun, not because it's uh-huh. useful in any way. Um, and Bray, I think Bray is, I mean, he's obviously either Undertaker or Kane, but I think maybe he's more of a Kane. I, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Absolutely. Braun Strowman seems like a big show to me. Uh, Randy Orton, Triple H, uh, Drew McIntyre. I don't know if there's any good analog for him, to be honest. Draws. You're a weird guy. <laughs> As the resident critic of the Deadly Draws production value and overall um, reason for existing, I have to say that the semifinals really blew me away. We had two really excellent matches. Uh, first one between the Nightmare Sisters and the team of Big and Lil Swole, who is actually bigger than Big Swole, so just opened up a paradox that could possibly swallow up the entire aw universe but (laughs) beyond that um i love how they protected swollen defeat because she's certainly one of the rising women stars um by giving uh brit baker a moment to sort of interrupt that match um and let uh, the nightmare sisters get the advantage the nightmare sisters were much less protected in this than i thought they would be they won this by sort of a little bit of shady means and then did not end up winning the tournament in the end. So I retract all my criticisms that this was all just to like build up Brandy's ego. And they've done a great job. Like this tournament did exactly what I felt like what I had hoped uh, it would do. We mentioned that I was optimistic about the tournament before it started. And as it continued and, you know, we're starting to see all of the different people that could really rise up the ranks of the AEW women's roster Mel, 
being one of them uh that one Speaking of my favorites of, of the whole them, roster almost everyone in the next match is someone who could be a big star in the oh, speak, roster. speaking of yeah yeah take conte anna j especially anna j's performance at the end of dynamite this week ivalice and diamante all and incredible yes. yeah and to your point uh anna j coming out with the entire dark order with like Brody lee as her like valet is super cool the only thing I was upset about is that they didn't stay out the whole match, but I think that's because obviously Ivelisse and Di- Diamante got the win. I also was thinking that they didn't stay out there. I think because the point of this was to put the focus on women's wrestlers. And while it is cool having all of the Dark Order stand there, it's like, why do we need to make this about, let's just let this be about what's happening in the ring and showcase really sick women's wrestlers. Like Tay Conte is incredible. Cannot wait to see more from her yeah like i think other than uh nyla rose versus sheeta this was the best women's match in AEW. the you're saying the main event of this take conte and anna j yeah. versus evilise and diamante yeah she take on ripped up this match just yeah evilise and Diam- diamante are such a great team like they to me are now the um almost like the the women's proud and powerful oh yeah well and i met and we mentioned last week uh that heptagon, like adding them in with like bros, <laughs> uh, would be would be a cool. They they definitely have really cool energy that's very different from most women's wrestlers that I can think of. Uh, Evilise and Diamante specifically. Totally. Well, I don't know. The there's usually the heels are just kind of snobby, like on AEW, like like Britt Baker, but Evilise mm. and Diamante are like scary. Like we're gonna fuck you up. It's funny, yeah. That's it's actually the PMP comparison's not bad. Not, it's a good one, just in that uh, I I mentioned many times, especially when we talked about Stadium Stampede, that PNP had and Evilise and Diamante don't necessarily have this. They have the one side of PNP where it's like PNP is like we're wacky and willing to do sort of these like Looney Tunes esque bits, but that stops when we get in the ring. When we get in the ring, we will fuck you up. And Evilise and Diamante yes. are bringing that energy. 100 percent like that promo that they cut at the end of this uh at the end of dark was insane like where they're uh like yelling i forget what they said but they say something in unison and it's like yeah sign me up for this feud hopefully they win this and yeah it, it gives us a glimpse of Tecanti and anna jay as well and you know this is i've read online that this is anna jay's first uh year wrestling and she's really good yeah she's doing awesome you know, you know what's one thing I was wondering if you've noticed? Uh, I feel like Ref Aubrey is not as featured as she once was uh, in the matches. Like I feel like that at the start of AEW, there she was that she was like a kind of almost like a fixture within the matches. But like for example, within this match, uh, she's just referred to as the referee, and then like later on uh, in Dynamite, I think during which match it was oh uh during the nightmare sisters during the the tag team cup match on dynamite I believe jr says it was jr that said a good referee goes on scene like it just seems like there there's like moments where they've like sort of downplayed her and i love ref aubrey and think that she adds a lot to every match uh i just i don't know i kind of i feel like that they've been intentionally sort of like downplaying the refs in all of the matches yeah, I don't know. I didn't actually notice that, but I do, now that I think about it, I don't remember seeing Ref Aubrey as much. 
I feel like they were really trying to push her just in a bit of like being a very progressive company, having like mm. assertive women's refs, and maybe they've sort of made that point. I, I found it interesting hearing Aubrey say that she wears red lipstick in matches that are like very important to her. So like when Sunny Kiss fought wow, that's cool. the AW title, she wore red lipstick because it was like the first uh, you know, openly queer wrestler getting a title shot. Um, and they're I, I know just pre AEW the two of them they're like friends they've done matches together they've like choreographed dances together and stuff so yeah however seems... Mike Kyoto was has been like making appearances and I believe Chris Jericho kind of cut a promo on Mike Kyoto or yeah so yeah I would say I've noticed him but I haven't noticed Aubrey as much and I wonder if you're right. Yeah, I don't. It's and it, I'm not necessarily saying it's a good or a bad thing. I was just wondering if anyone, like, if you noticed that. Also, uh, I really like her. There noticed it. Hit up John F. Malta. <laughs> no, on not, Instagram on I Twitter. Mean, if you want to talk to me about that, I guess. But we're just trying to get your take on it, bro. Uh, this episode of Dynamite overall, holy shit! I went back and watched. So uh, maybe we can work backwards a little bit because the biggest part of this Dynamite was Brody Lee is now the TNT champion. And, dude, I rewatched it and I rescind my sort of, I didn't really like it that much, uh, response to you and Thomas on Saturday night. I watched it this morning. Um, I thought this was fine, like a fine show. I didn't think it was one of the best Dynamites. Thomas said it, he thought it was one of the best Dynamites. I, I don't know. I feel like we have... We are never in sync about that. I find me and Thomas like whenever I'm like, oh, I feel like this is one of the best dynamites. Thomas is like, or maybe not. Uh, and then this <laughs> time he said that and I was like, really? I didn't give anything above a B slash B plus. I don't so. think from a mat in ring quality. No, but I would say from a story quality, like 100%. Like, whereas tell like, me, tell me what well, story st- stood out to you. Brody, obviously, Brody Lee winning the title in Dark Order, sort of establishing their dominance. What a way for TN, what a way for it to end. Yes, I actually, this I wanted to connect to the Heels video, because I remember you saying you didn't really like that ending, and then I saw Big Van Vader destroy Anoki. Yeah, yes. And, and, I, and it reminded me exactly of Brody Lee versus Cody, and I was like, I wonder if John will have a second thought. Yes, I, I agree, and I watched, I rewatched, I watched the Heels video, then I rewatched uh this match and yeah it's a squash match it's a great i guess because i'm so um i'm used to big title changes and big big moments like that i guess in my mind or in my watching of wrestling i'm conditioned to like show me a great match and then let that lead like sort of like crescendo into a title change rather than just like this dominant person coming out and destroying someone but well it was a great way to use cody's rub of like his title run not for his benefit but for the benefit of who destroys it so cody we've been talking about you know he goes he makes everyone look good but by the end he's you know uh victorious he really made brody look good here like (laughs) he got yeah dark order looks terrifying They beat up absolutely. Beat up Arn, Anna Jay choking out Brandy. Like what a what a ending to Dynamite. It definitely it felt like felt like a season a season finale almost. Yes, like it felt like one definitely one of the best endings. Like you said, uh, tied with the Inner Circle on the football field with the Inner Circle 
Those are the two classic dynamite endings so far. I will, I think, like Dark when, Order. What, how did it end after uh, Moxley put Kenny Omega through the table in the first episode? What was the ending of that? Did it just end with them? I think they might have just kept brawling, right? Or yeah, no, no, yeah. no, 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 it did it. Did, didn't that was like that was episode one? Didn't Hager? I wouldn't. Yeah, that that's like when Hager surprise came in. It was multiple. There was multiple brawling happened, and then in the center of the ring. Hager makes his appearance and slams Cody in an inner circle standing tall. I don't, right, I don't right, know. Right. Yeah. I could see why but you're as thinking. But first closing, just closing as first closing vision, images. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You're, you're totally right that the images, though, of like the Dark Order standing tall and the uh, inner circle inner circle standing tall uh, were absolutely iconic. And how, how cool is it? Like, I feel like most Attitude Era fans, most wrestling fans have been waiting for a Western promotion to build a promotion around factions in this way, where it isn't just like, well, we have D generation X and they're the faction. And then every other faction is just kind of like, I don't know, oddities. Like the, the last time I feel like in, I'm, I mean, I don't know, I guess I can't really speak to like ring of honor, but like thinking about a WWE terms, like the last like big faction warfare, that's like, like lasting. I don't know. Yeah. It would maybe be like attitude era in terms of it's like, uh influence uh and even then there was only just like a few like there's only like one or two and yeah and now in aew uh kind of now uh just those different factions that are being built up so incredible and you know we were talking about this a little bit the other night i don't need to fantasy book aew because aew is fantasy booking tony khan is fantasy booking aew for me uh dude Eddie Kingston is now the leader of a faction. We don't know he's the leader, but he certainly tr- did try to unite uh, the Butcher, Butcher the Blade, Blade, and the Lucha Bros together into what we are speculating as Death Heptagon. <laughs> so That's if that happens, right? then yeah, I hope I would love to see Pac and Eddie Kingston as a tag team. Uh, if the bastards, wow, yeah. That's... They are bastards! <laughs> so, if in fact Eddie Kingston is running this this new faction, if that does happen, which seems uh, kind of natural because they're some of the only people who are not in a larger faction, you could potentially have Cody running the Nightmare Family, Kenny Omega running the Elite, Eddie Kingston running Death Heptagon. Heptagon. <laughs> uh, possibly Hangman Adam Page running a four horsemen comprised of himself, FTR, and Sean Spears. And Brody Lee running the Dark Order. Matt Hardy was forming a faction. That could possibly happen, but as far as these are ones that like are really confirmed. Yeah, totally. Are pretty much. Did I miss anyone? Oh, uh, MJ. No, no, MJ. He doesn't really have a faction faction. right now. Yeah. Uh, No, but he's got a team. Just so cool that the whole. uh, Yeah, he has a team. uh, His like political team. Um, But yeah, it's so cool that the whole promotion actually true. It's like New Japan. It's built around factions, and then yeah, every match, no matter what happens, can't even the small like tag match or singles exhibition match could have bigger implications depending on the factions that are fighting, which is so cool. And I wonder if like they'll do. It'd be cool if they did if they turn blood and guts into like a faction warfare pay per view, 
where it's like tur- tournament, yeah. like a tournament, and then the final is in blood and guts. Like maybe it's like a Survivor Series like tournament where the final match is the blood and guts match between the the two last finalist factions. And like that would be amazing. You know, it could be against whoever whoever makes sense for at the time, like whoever has the most heat. I feel like we've all been waiting for the elite to have a throwdown against someone, but I feel like we got the elite versus inner circle already with the stadium stampede match. So, Oh yeah. Yes. That's blown off for sure. Um, uh, Cody was not involved in that though. And Cody I was going to ask that. Is that, was that the night Cody won the belt, the TNT belt? Yeah. That would have been the night that Cody won the TNT belt, but yeah, that sounds and right. just sort of to AEW's credit too, just the way they've been building up different mini tournaments. Like this Deadly Draw tournament was great, and the the finals match that happened on Dynamite was really good. The Nightmare Sisters versus Evilise and Diamante, uh, Evilise and Diamante win, and you know I I ga- like I gasped when QT started to interfere. I was like, oh my god, is this QT's going to interfere and then they're going to win and that's how this is going to end? And it's like what a lot of us feared would happen, but. No, they, you know, Evilise and Diamante win, and it was great. AW is really good at taking us right up to the to the edge and then swerving. My favorite match of the night, oddly enough, was the Elite Young Bucks and Kenny Omega versus the Dark Order, comprised of Alex Three Reynolds, John Four Silver, and Alan Five Angels. <laughs> which I'm gonna start referring to them all like Alan Five Angels because it will help me so much to remember which number they are. That's not a bad way to retain uh, their Dark Order numbers. Yeah, that match was, for me, uh, I preferred more of all the, the story stuff that happened over the match, which that match was good. Uh, I just think, like, all of the matches of that night, uh, I feel like the stories are what were more important than the actual, like, in-ring quality. But Dark Order versus the Elite, what that was a good, you know, we got some sick sick moves six spots that was that was good good match uh it's just those those dark order guys can go they can yeah and it, it was cool like one thing one thing i loved in that match uh, sort of against what i said about cody where cody was like overselling for the dark order in this match each member of the elite dominated all three of those all three of the dark order sort of four or five and six whoever you know whatever their numbers are um three four and five john three show a little respect yeah but okay. <laughs> Each each time, there were instances where each of the members of the the Bucks and Omega were taking on all three of them, which is how I think that sort of these Dark Order underlings should fight, not where they're like, I don't know, destroying Cody. Basically, uh, I did I was not a fan of that at all. Uh, other and yet you're a fan of Alan Five Angels having his way with the best bout machine, Kenny Kenneth Omega. <laughs> There was an instance of that match where Kenny was handling all three of them by himself. Uh, overall, too, story storyline wise, didn't he want to? You know at who the someone? End, like, sorry, I was gonna say, didn't Omega at the end like want to power bomb one of these guys through? A, he was gonna power bomb onto like, a chair. Kenny Omega heel turn yeah. incoming. Uh, yes, and I wonder how that's gonna work exactly. Who will he be aligned with at that point? No one. I think he'd be a good John Moxley type. Like alienated from, unless the Bucks turn heel too, I think he'd be great just as like a John Moxley lone wolf, like alienated wrestler. Listen, if the Young Bucks haven't turned heel, their T-shirts have. Okay, hard agree on that. Uh, <laughs> one of other Sorry to all, per- our, all of our Christian AF listeners. <laughs> what other person? All of our listeners who are tight with Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
Why don't you keep working, workshopping more t-shirt ideas for bad t-shirt ideas for them? Uh, dude, Ricky Starks throwing down on his promo as this week, calling Darby Allen emo and just going from like goofy, funny, like, uh, I'm like making fun of like a high school kid making fun of emo kids to like, I'm going to fucking destroy you was such a cool transition. I didn't know anything about Ricky Starks before he got to AEW, but I am a huge fan of him now. And I like seeing the FTW title featured again, too. Like, well, that honestly, whole segment a lot was of, cool. Honestly, a lot of wrestlers can go in the ring, but not all of them can really distinguish themselves on the mic and turn that into great character work. And Ricky Starks is doing that tenfold. And it's very easy to see why he's been put in a sort of prominent position that's another faction taz's boys oh right yeah totally so far only brian cage and uh ricky starks i would actually like to see darby turn heel and join them he'd be a cool addition to them but yeah the feud there's obviously huge feud bubbling between a a bruin yeah darby and taz's taz tat team taz is what taz is calling it that's why i call it taz's boys yeah, Team Taz. Uh, yeah, dude. I don't know. It's just I really enjoyed. I just from a story perspective, I felt like this was a very superb episode of Dynamite in the way that some of these last couple of like the episodes of the last month, there's been some that have gone back and saved on my DVR because of how sick the matches were, uh, like the big eight man with Butcher Blade and Lucha Bros. Uh, from a work rate sort of in-ring perspective, those matches really delivered. But it's cool that as we inch closer to their big pay-per-view all out, the stories are what are delivering. And I'm psyched for all out next weekend. Yeah, next weekend. It was really fun to watch Dynamite live on a Saturday. It felt like uh, a big a big deal. And when Brody won at the end, uh, Thomas, who is usually pretty stoic when we watch these things, audibly gasped. Um, so that was really cool, but we actually were watching a different event on Saturday that we paused in order to watch Dynamite, and that was GCW's Tournament of Survival, number five. John and I were both a little bit reticent to watch this because even though John is a is a proponent of the death match, perhaps he is a little bit more squeamish than the yeah the super like ultra violent death matches with. Like the bamboo shoots. So did Jun Kasai, uh, for everyone listening that knows that reference. Maybe he, that he is my threshold for my enjoyment for death matches. I, I see, appreciate sort of his in-ring work and what he does in sort of the deathmatch genre. But just for me personally as a viewer, uh, when things sort of get to that ultraviolent level, uh, it's a little hard for me to watch. Uh, a little bit of it is fine. Like throughout this match, th- this overall, the tournament of survival super fun watch absolutely loved it and it was no why it was not any wilder than the death matches that we're used to seeing in gcw no it was only a little bit more sort of bloody and dependent on all that stuff like in in most pay-per-views we watched there was at least like one or two matches that were like this backyard was quite a bit like this i would say maybe had bigger moments like the point where he blew that guy up like that was oh nothing made me as shocked uh here but there was a lot of lot of light tubes a lot of um you know there was stabbing there was only one moment where me and thomas simultaneously looked away which was where the hyperdermic needles or hanging out jimmy lloyd's mouth (laughs) 
Yeah, and that was the first match, and we were both just like, what have we done? But then, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that bad, and every match was so solid. Yeah, it's, it's that... you, you know, I think a lot of people from the outside looking in here at Tournament of Survival, it's just like, oh, this is just going to be people hitting each other with light tubes and stabbing each other. But right from the start, Ricky Shane Page versus Jimmy Lloyd, uh, it there are a lot of great wrestling moments throughout that match. Like that, there's a big yeah. spinning forearm from Jimmy Lloyd about halfway through, like kind of like just before the needle in the mouth spot. Uh, but even then, like the needle in the mouth spot, that was horrifying. It definitely pushed my threshold for uh, enjoyment of deathmatch stuff. But right after that, there's a great like tilt to whirl sequence uh, that crescendos into like a choke breaker from Ricky Shane Page, and then he gets the win. And yeah, that just sort of like set up the tone for the whole tournament, where it's like. The same thing that we have been saying over and over again with GCW's death matches, which is that there is incredible wrestling matches built around these super violent moments. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, these, these were a little bit more like certainly escalations of, of yes. violence and introductions of like, you know, uh, I mean, a lot of light. Tubes. Absolutely. Certain matches would start and the the ring would be absolutely like covered in glass. Tubes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, these matches, yeah, like you said, they were just, they were so good. A uh, couple of my favorite ones, Shane Mercer versus Eric Ryan. Uh, Shane Mercer is a absolute beast. He was holding Eric Ryan up in the air with one arm. Yeah, like I, it's, he is so strong and so smooth that it you almost don't appreciate, like almost, almost don't appreciate how hard that actually is. But he did a military press. And then continued to hold a adult male wrestler up in the air with one hand, throws the wrestler with one hand, then smashes him midair with a light tube. That was crazy! Holy yeah, shit. That, yeah, that was such a sick moment. And it, his whole match had moments like that. Like big power moves peppered around. Well, just right at the start, he immediately released belly-to-belly suplexes Eric Mercer... Or sorry, Eric Ryan through the glass plate. Oh, right. Yeah, ring. right out of the gate. It is funny, though. I guess, like, our, we, the deathmatch sort of, our deathmatch sensitivity or our sensitivity for these ultraviolet matches may be um, higher than a re- regular viewer of, like, Dynamite and no deathmatches at all. Just because, like, at this point, that is something that seems, like, normal to me to watch. Like, Mercer doing a belly to belly through a pane of glass on Eric Ryan. Uh, Whereas, you know, when you're watching AEW or something like that, your threshold maybe is much lower. Uh, right. But yeah, uh, that that was a great moment. Nick Gage on commentary. Yeah, definitely. Throughout. I have a higher threshold than I thought I did. Yeah. Definitely. Because they're like stabbing each other in the face with the glass tubes <laughs> and stuff. And I'm like, I'm okay with this. Um, my favorite match of the night was Alex Cologne versus Schlack. And Schlack at several points in the match was just biting light tubes and just He's crazy. Him. Yeah, he's a mutant for sure. Uh, yeah, he's definitely one of the X-Men. Yeah, Alex Cologne, one of the MVPs of the tournament, like not just because he won, but just, you know, he 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 works these matches in such a great way. One other person that I one other performance that I completely just was like blown away by was Alley Cats. Uh, yes, I couldn't could not have said it better myself. Uh, just I was scared for her. And Atticus Kogar did some truly heinous things to her in this match. And she was just like going for it. She did not look phased. She was 
performing big moves on him. Dude, yeah, right out of uh, the gate, brings that big boot to the corner. It's like she, like Ali Cat just has an intensity about her performance that it's so good. She hits uh, Kogar with a huge boot that knocks him out of the ring and then does a diving Luthez press off the apron and just like, I don't know, there's just a like this visceral energy to the start of that uh, that match that it really made it stand out to me as one of my personal favorites of the night as well. And then, you know, as yeah. as the match builds, we do get another pretty, like, not I guess not necessarily ultra-violent, but hard-to-watch moment with the uh, skewers in, the, in Alley Cat's head. Uh, Man, that was With brutal, Alley Cat, dude. like, screaming. Like, the, the ske- skewers are kind of maybe my threshold for, like, this is, that looks real painful. And it's like... Yeah, she had skewers in her head that were all standing up. There was like six or seven of them just all standing up in her forehead. Yeah, so uh, not that I feel like I'm not going to watch this anymore while I'm watching that, but just personally while I'm watching, it's like, holy fuck, that looks crazy. And yeah, uh, yeah. overall, just that, that match was really good. Uh, was was Man, Ali Kat, Kogar, Schlack, Cologne, and the one before, Mercer, Ryan, like just three absolute authors. Excellent matches. Was kind of four four O H's night, to be honest, though. Uh, oh yeah, there was three out of four of them were in the semifinals. Yeah, and then ultimately uh, Alex Cologne wins that that last match. I mean, this kind of tournament it kind of inherently builds to this sort of uh, plotting mat violent crescendo. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> like blo- like plotting violent crescendo where it's not you're not getting like Bandito versus Osprey. It's big moments with lots of light tubes lots of glass and ultimately alex cologne triumphantly defeating ricky shane page and you know that it's great that this storyline with rsp has really extended outside of his feud with nick gage to sort of be 440h versus gcw uh almost like they're like an outside uh faction or you know an i would say the most detestable feel heel faction in the world right now i 100 percent agree i can't think of anyone that you would put above the them in terms of like both fan hatred and just pure like i can't wait to see nick gage be victorious you know or you know the, cannot yeah, like, wait to see him destroy ricky shane as soon page. as he's healed again he was great nick gage was great on commentary throughout this whole thing also nick, nick gage spent three hours calling ricky shane page <laughs> a pussy yeah just like I don't know, and just calling the match it like it, it hit his perspective on the matches was great. Just it was weird hearing him talk and not say motherfuckers every couple of words. Like I actually took did like an auditory double take where I was like, is that is that actually what Nick Gage sounds like when he's not doing this? You know promise? what it's kind of like so. is when uh, not that uh, I mean Nick Gage is very authentic and very much real, but it's similar in that like he has his sort of. Um, the the persona that he turns up when he's in ring and on the bike and in the same way uh like macho man or jesse ventura when they're in the ring they have that crazy turned up persona but then when they're on commentary you hear them say things like like very calmly like a regular person would like oh that's a nice arm drag or like right like that happened a lot in this match with these matches with nick gage where he would obviously be doing sort of the the stuff you you're used to hearing him say on mic uh, and sort of like getting psyched up about glass and light tubes and those sorts of things. But then when the match would start, you know, he'd get lost in the match uh, and, you know, sort of break out of that and start calling things here and there, which I personally really enjoyed hearing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was 
it really made me like you just said, like really made me build that match between Nick Cage and, and RSP, which is obviously going to happen. It's it's one of these like long term booking scenarios that we know is going to happen, but it won't make it any less satisfying. Yeah, and maybe it would have happened sooner than later if Nick Cage hadn't gotten hurt. But uh, yeah, it seems like I don't know how bad that injury he has is, but it, I imagine maybe like early next year we would get to see that match. Maybe yeah. sooner. Sometimes it's it's weird because sometimes you hear like a wrestler has an injury and you're like, oh shit, they're going to be out for like six months. And like with Yoshihashi, it's like he was back like within a three weeks, maybe. Right, and then in the opposite, we're like, oh, it's an ankle injury. Like that can't take him out for very long. And then you never know; he could be out for six months. Absolutely. There. And the next, so the next GCW show that I believe we will be watching, uh, the night after All Out, GCW presents Bring Him Out Sunday, September sixth. If you're someone who's been listening to this and you haven't checked out GCW yet, but you've been enjoying maybe all of the other wrestling that we talk about, uh, I would implore you to check out any of their shows. I don't think that you'll be disappointed by spending the $14 or $10 that they're asking you to pay. If you listen to this, if you have been listening to this and you don't watch GCW, I apologize <laughs> because we talk about it a fucking That's a good lot. point, actually. If you're listening, you're still listening to this episode now. I imagine you're a GCW fan, or you just like hearing two dudes talk about what happened in GCW. But you're a. F- Let me just tell you, if you if you don't watch GCW and you listen to this, you're a fucking legend in my book. <laughs> Speaking of death matches, John, for your classic match recommendation, I ended up watching a match that I had seen before. But that honestly bared repeating. And that is Cactus Jack versus the legend Terry Funk on August 20th, 1995, King of the Death match in Kawasaki Stadium in Japan. This was the finals of the eight man IWA elimination death match tournament to, to determine the king of the death match with talent from all over the world. Mick Foley and Terry Funk, two battle-worn gods of deathmatch, circle each other in this monument to violence they've built for themselves. The no ropes, barbed wire, exploding barbed wire boards, and exploding ring time bomb deathmatch. Terry Funk lands a few punches at the beginning to the face to Mick's inimitable grunts. Mick Irish whips the Funker towards the barbed wire, but he stops short. This old dog still has a few tricks up his sleeve. He takes Mick down with a neckbreaker and throws him towards the treacherous surroundings, but Mick manages to slide out beneath the bottom rope. Mick lands a few headbutts before escorting Terry's forehead to the foreboding spikes, causing a large gash that begins seeping blood. Foley is in control, landing punch after punch on his mentor, before the great oak collapses onto a bed of barbed wire, letting forth a huge explosive blast from the C4 below. Terry's hands shake as he slowly rolls over, leading to only a two-count from Cactus Jack. Jack, seemingly in control, goes to drive Funk into the barbed wire ropes with an elbow drop before the Funker rolls away at the last moment, leaving Cactus's back and triceps to be shredded by the deadly metal. The experienced legend picks up his young protege and puts him back down again with authority with a double underhook suplex before throwing a weakened Foley to the other side of the ring sending his exposed underarm and abdomen into the sagging barbed wire. Like a stalking lion, Terry is awaiting Cactus Jack with a hip toss that ends in another ghoulish explosion from underneath the ring. 
though Mick seems to have rolled away to avoid the worst of it. Terry delivers two sickening pile drivers back to back to Foley before picking up the prone Jack and throwing him headfirst through a barbed wire board leaned against the turnbuckle. While it's not enough to take down the hardcore legend for the three count, Cactus Jack is in rough shape. He rolls out of the ring and staggers on the outside as Funk throws another barbed wire board from the ring and grazes Mick. But soon it's the Funker underneath the business end of that board with Mick landing a big elbow drop that cracks the board atop Funker. Funk reverses an Irish whip that sends Mick over the barricade and then drags him back into the ring. He lays desperate haymakers on Cactus Jack before locking him in a brutal leg submission. But from out of nowhere, someone enters the ring and begins to pound Funk with something resembling a golf club. He and his accomplice Jack work together to throw Funk into the final barbed wire board, leading to the gruesomest explosion in the corner yet. Funk is collapsed in the wire and table mess as he forces the wire tangled in his bloody hair. A merciless Foley tries to finish Funk off with a neckbreaker and a DDT, but Funk won't go down, the crowd chanting his name. The ref begins to count down from 10 to signal that the time bomb around the ring is set to explode. But when it happens, the four explosions are a bust, looking like crappy Roman candles. The crowd begins to turn on Funk and Mick before Cactus slides back into the ring and Funk uses the last of his energy to backdrop Cactus into the final C4 explosive. They both land with their arms and legs sickeningly within the explosive range and both crawl away in agony. Cactus Jack pops up with a crimson mask and goes to the outside to look for something to compensate for the absolute botched finale. He emerges with a ladder and rams it into Funk's forehead before backdropping the ladder onto a prone Funk. Funk has a visible gash down his face and looks worst for wear, but still manages to kick out. Cactus Jack climbs the ladder, his face absolutely covered in blood beyond all recognition, and drops a picture-perfect elbow from halfway up. But Terry still will not stay down. Mick climbs the ladder again, but suddenly Funk pops up, collapsing into the ladder with his final act of strength and leaving Cactus to fall several feet onto the tangle of knives. They are both down, but Cactus manages to get up first, pinning a prone Funk for a slightly anticlimactic finish to this absolute legendary bloodbath. Sick match, dude. Dude, I rewatched it also, and it I've seen that match so many times, but yeah, it's so such a good match. Really loved your uh, retelling of the match. Uh, you called one of the explosions a ghoulish explosion, which uh, really playing to my sensibilities with that aesthetic read. <laughs> Trying to play it to you, bud. Uh, yeah, I, that's one. That's one in my mind. Like I, I would love. I wish that I had almost like a clone of myself that I could just have animating all of our classic match breakdowns. But that's <laughs> one that I think I'm definitely going to spend some time and go back and sort of follow us on Patreon, and we will hire the technology. To clone John, <laughs> so we have a full-time John just making animations. Exactly to animate all of our, all of your Stone Cold impressions and classic <laughs> match reads. But yeah, that that was that was a great breakdown of the match and sort of the uh, haywire uh, conclusion of the the uh, King of the Deathmatch tournament. And it's interesting because the sort of similar energy to the main event of uh, Tournament of Survival. RSP versus Alex Cologne, where, you know, you get this, it's a deathmatch tournament, so it's, like, impossible for the last match after a whole series of deathmatches to basically be this high-speed sort of 
match. It's got to be more plotting and built around kind of almost big set pieces, sort of almost like an action film or something. Uh, I feel like that that's like a good comparison to a lot of these bigger, like classic death matches. Totally. Mark, do you have a classic match recommendation for me for this week? And does it involve Dolph Ziggler? I know the more that I say that, the the, the sooner I will get recommended a Dolph Ziggler match. Uh, yeah, I'm actually a little bit confused. Do you want? I'm going to stop saying that. That's the last time you'll hear another... that from me. So the next match that I'm referring to you is uh, the special end of the WWF pay per view Double Dragon, where Dolph Ziggler is forced to fight a shadow clone of himself. What? In the middle of the <laughs> ring, for the love of Miriam. Um, what? I made oh. that up, obviously. <laughs> um, so, the match that I will be recommending to you, John, is another one of these ROH matches. Oh, hell yeah. That we have not watched before. And this is Davy Richards. Wow. Versus Whoa. Tyler Black. At ROH, oh my gosh, I should have <laughs> guessed the Seth Rollins match was incoming. Um, that doesn't surprise me. You're you you're a, a, a rude. <laughs> you need to stop dissing people because I'm just gonna serve them up to you on a on a silver. Uh, see, and I do the opposite thing, which is Mark would love this match, and I'm gonna show it to him instead of well, maybe John will like this match, and since he said he didn't like that person, maybe he'll like them now. I get it. You think you're a better friend than I am. That's fine. Yeah, that's how that's how I'd say it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, looking forward to watching that. And, uh, you know, I was wondering, hey, Steve, did you get your package okay? Did everything show up? John, just between this episode starting and ending, UPS man came to my door and dropped off my package. <laughs> and I gotta say, oh, hell yeah to this magazine and to your merch, John. Steve, did the hat fit your head? John, half in my head. (laughs) All right, did the shirt fit? I sent an extra large. It was the last XL I had. John! (laughs) I can't. can't. I'm sorry. I'm laughing too much. Steve, come on. I need to know. Did the shirt fit? John, shirt fit my my rippling abs perfectly. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love you so cold so much. (laughs) <laughs> i can't do it like i'm for the amount of times that you are going to recommend me matches for people for wrestlers i don't like i'm going to ask you to do steve stone cold steve austin impressions because it's fucking hilarious ah it seems mark's been hoisted by his own petard <laughs> if you think mark's been hoisted by his own petard give me a hell yeah This has been another episode of the Torture Act Podcast. You can follow my co-host, John F. Malta, at John F. Malta on all social media. You can follow me, Mark Basque, at Waste of Taste on Instagram. You can follow us on Instagram, on YouTube, on Patreon, on our website, and join the Torture Act Wolf Pack.